Welcome to FitPro Foundations, the podcast where you'll hear fitness professionals provide the ideas and the inspiration behind their success. My name is Karen Salenzi, and today it is my pleasure to introduce the one and only Duff Gibson. Duff is a world and Olympic champion in skeleton, founder of an innovative youth multi-sport program, and has published a book titled The Tao of Sport. Duff competed from 1999 to 2006, where he won gold in the Olympic men's skeleton race. Today, Duff is a paid speaker, coach, father, and captain with the Calgary Fire Department. His company, Dark Horse Athletic, aims to develop physical literacy and athleticism for kids, all while fostering an intrinsic love of sport. Duff, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Karen. I appreciate the the one and only. That's what I've always been telling my wife, and I. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to hear someone else say it every once in a while. <laughs> so, are you saying that she would approve of me <laughs> bolstering your ego here, or <laughs> um, that she might say that that's been a problem in the past? I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to speak for her. So, quick question before we begin, and this thought just popped into my mind. Back in university. Our team would be running laps at the Olympic Oval, and I swear that I remember seeing you on the Zamboni, clearing off the ice for the speed skaters. <laughs> you would always give me a little wave. Was that you? You are talking about a very specific moment in history because I worked for the Oval. I worked at the Oval as an ice guy for a little bit, but driving a Zamboni requires a certain amount of expertise of which... I never met the threshold, so I <laughs> attempted to drive the Zamboni. So if you if you do actually remember me driving a Zamboni, that would have literally been one or two days where they were attempting to train me, and I never, never went beyond that, if I'm being totally honest. You looked very happy. I remember you had a big <laughs> grin. Maybe it was, it was a little bit of fear in the eyes, but oh, that's funny. Yeah, the thought just popped into my head. I was like, was that Duff? <laughs> But you were a speed skater as well, correct? Yeah, I can tell you exactly. Like, that's right when I moved to Calgary from 89 to 93 or 4. That was my, my athletic history was different than many people who, you know, you take up swimming as a kid, you're good. And eventually you think, oh, I could make the Olympics and you train and train. I had a different path. For me, it was I watched the Olympics, uh, the Montreal Olympics when I was just you know, nine turning 10, and then thought, I don't care what sport it is. I'm going to go to the Olympics. I want to represent Canada. The, the whole goal was the Olympics and the idea of the Olympics. So I competed in five sports of which speed skating was one where I thought, this is it. Okay, I'm diving in totally and it's going to take me to the Olympics. But it wasn't until I found Skeleton eventually, which was the fifth one. And this has always been fascinating to me that individuals are able to attempt many different styles of sports and excel in all of them. You won a gold medal in the Olympics. So you have obviously experienced wins and losses and disappointments and moments where you went beyond what you perhaps believed was possible. Tell us a little bit about your own journey. You started when you were speaking about watching the Olympics when you were just a child. What prompted you to continue 
going until you hit the point where you were ready to leave? Well, I was, uh, by Olympic sport standards, an old man with my body falling apart when I was... <laughs> When it was time for me to leave. So it wasn't, it wasn't really an option, but by the same token, I was, so my, I was getting signals from my body and various injuries and level of energy and that sort of thing over the last couple of years of my career. So there wasn't the fact that I went out on top made my retirement perfect as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I, as I said before, my, I would say my mom and dad, both both were very athletic. Both were very into sports. My mom, there was one year in my high school yearbook where my mom was in the yearbook more often than I was because she was a referee for basketball. And so she was in the yearbook in basketball pictures more times than I was as a student. And it, it, it began with a love of the game. Go, you know, you're young, the sun is shining, you should be outside. It was as simple as that. We'd play for hours, build skateboard ramps, hide and seek, whatever it was, baseball, hockey. And then I think another significant aspect of it was the fact that my father always instilled upon me that ultimately sport didn't matter. You know, who won the championship there this year? Your school soccer team, you were eliminated in the first round. Well, what if you won the whole city championships? Well, that'd be fun. But in the big picture, it doesn't really matter either way. That was something that was instilled in us from, from day one. And so that had repercussions. And I also, uh, something else that was significant for me was I had, I watched the Montreal Olympics, like I mentioned, and I had a teacher and volleyball coach in elementary school who was a referee at the Olympics. And he told us this, this story that just fueled my love and me being enamored with the whole idea of the Olympics. And he told us this story about a volleyball match at the, at the 76 Olympics. And he wasn't the referee in the match, but he was at the scorer's table and saw it firsthand. And one of the, the two of the best teams in the world were, he didn't say, I don't, maybe he did say who it was, but I don't remember if he did. But there were two of the best men's teams in the world. And the one guy spiked the ball and the ball was very close to the line, but out. And the line judge called it in. And the guy who spiked it, this is Mr. Little, my, my elementary school volleyball coach, telling me this story, telling our team this story. And the guy who spiked it went to the ref and said respectfully, uh, I'm sorry that it was called in, but it was out. It should be, it should be their ball. And then a player from the opposing team came up and said, no, I touched it. I touched it. It should, be, it should be your ball. And I don't know if he said it or not, but the implication was that the guy who said that he touched it hadn't. And both like this, that, like I'll never forget that story. And to me, that typifies what sport, like a, in terms of a philosophy, that is almost the opposite of what you see so commonly today. And that was about sportsmanship and respect for the game and the opponent and officials. And to me, you know, as a 10 or 11 year old hearing that story, that blew me away. And I was, you know, enamored with the Olympics. And I thought I would, I need to be a part of that. And I don't care what sport it is. And eventually I tried enough sports where it, it, it clicked and it, it was fueled and it continued on 
only because it was always something that I loved to do and trying to get better. And, you know, I'm 54 now and I still am motivated by a challenge and I still love to, you know, with paddle boarding, with mountain biking, whatever it is, I will never be the world's greatest mountain biker at, at 210. There's no, there's no successful, you know, cross-country mountain bikers who are more than 135 probably. There's, there's some great joy in that. And so that was always, you know, people sometimes say, oh, you were 39 when you finished. What great perseverance. Well, it had nothing to do with perseverance. It had to do with finding what you love to do and challenging yourself and loving that challenge and progressing. And success ultimately re related to that and the fact that I stumbled upon something that exactly suited what I was good at and didn't penalize me for my weaknesses. Because it will always be nature and nurture. You know, eventually I found the one that, that matched both really well. I think that this completely explains your whole philosophy yeah, yeah. in our course. And I can say from firsthand experience, because I brought both of my kids to Dark Horse Athletic, was absolutely blown away with what the process was from start to finish, not only with the caliber of all of the coaches that you have there, but also with the overall attitude of joy and allowing kids to become leaders for a moment in time and providing recognition. My son, that first class where he got to lead the warm-up, and then at the end of class was recognized by all of the coaches and the kids, shaped him. Right. For never having for never having been there before and still volunteer, you know, th there's a sense of unknown, and he still volunteered to be a leader for the warm-up. And that's that's part of the process. That's part of the growth mindset. You know, do you how do you foster a growth mindset? You reinforce dispositional characteristics like leadership, like teamwork, which which you would be demonstrating if you offered to be a leader when the group is looking for leaders. It takes a little bit of courage and for someone that age, especially on the first day. So that's how you foster a growth mindset is you don't worry about who's number one because they get that all day, every day. In every, that's how the world operates. They get enough of that. They're not going to miss that. But to foster a growth mindset, you validate or reinforce dispositional characteristics, which are better predictors of success anyway. So you've hit on one of the, the key aspects of the, of the program. And, that's, and I very much appreciate how, you're, how kind you're being about it. And I've been very lucky, I think, with the instructors. I feel like I'm batting a thousand with the, the coaches that I've hired. And, I, and I, I think we have three of them from, who are graduates of the Mount Royal Physical Literacy Program. And that's, that's, been, that's been a great thing. But it's, that, is that partially why you reached out to me to be a part of this podcast in the first place, is your firsthand experience with the program? I believe right now that there's two highly underserved markets when it comes to fostering health and wellness through activity, and that is seniors and children. And it's not just because of the pandemic. It's where you've got coaches that are trying to live their dreams through the small little bodies that they are coaching. And that doesn't 
appeal to all children. It doesn't appeal to all families. And it certainly shouldn't be the way that youth sports are run. So when it comes to dark horse athletic, broad overview, what is it that that dark horse athletic provides? Well, it is a, in very basic terms, it's a bunch of kids in a gymnasium with some coaches. And we do a variety of different, it kind of plays on the, the stereotype of what the attention span of a young person is these days. In other words, we keep moving, we keep changing it up. And it's on our website, we say it's about a love of physical activity. It's about physical literacy, meaning we change it up all the time. You're doing different things. There's no wrong answer. When the goal is physical literacy and fun, then you make sure to keep changing it up. And we do speed skating exercises, basketball, any kind of any kind of sport or physical activity or even footwork patterns, any kind of training modality that you can do in a gym that doesn't require equipment that we don't have. That's physically what it is. And so it's about love of the game, physical literacy, and a growth mindset. And so for a growth mindset, we typically don't play a game of basketball. We wouldn't, there, there, there's very little, we do some relays, we do some team events where it's one team against another team, but there's no, there's no scenario in which someone will go head to head against someone because it's really, it's really about you challenging you. And ultimately, I would argue that sport at the highest level on the other end of the spectrum from kids sport is ultimately about you challenging you. That's how you get better at anything in life. So the example I often use is for basketball, every, we're not going to have a game of basketball. Every kid gets a basketball and we'll, we'll do challenges and we'll do progressions. Meaning step one is typically, and this is dependent upon the age or skill level of the group that's doing basketball, but we'll probably start with, okay, here's some basic instruction as to how you dribble a basketball. Here's your challenge number one. Dribble this ball 50 times with your dominant hand, and if you can, keep your head up, and if, and if that's not challenging enough, try not looking at it, like actually block your view of it. So that's level one. Then level two is the same thing with the left hand. Then level three is sit down and stand up without stopping dribbling. And that becomes, that doing that one specifically was the first time where I thought to myself, this is a beautiful thing because you have a kid who's maybe played basketball for his school or in a club right beside someone who's never done it before. And they're, and they're trying to feel the basketball in their fingertips. So their brains are trying to complete the challenge and they're trying to do something very specific. And the thought that, oh, I don't want to do this because I look stupid because I'm not as good as these other kids doesn't cross their minds. And truly, that's a big component of the program because it, you know, who, how good you are when you're 8 or 10 or 12 or even 15 is, is no predictor at all of how good you could be if you set your mind to it. That, coupled with the fact that we're all suited for some things and not suited for other things, means the last thing I want is for a young person to miss out on the joy of sport, regardless of what that sport is, because they feel out of place or that they, they're not as good as someone else. Well, that's a, for an eight-year-old, that's irrelevant. And so we, I feel like we've hit on something really special in terms of structuring it 
So you're fostering a growth mindset and you're making who's number one, you're putting that on the back burner. And so how it's structured does that, as well as the fact that you, as you mentioned before, acknowledging Kai's leadership by volunteering to lead the warm-up, we're reinforcing things other than who's the best at something because they get that all day, every day. So that's, in a nutshell, that's kind of what the, what the program does. And as a result, kids, and we also have free time. And I think that's a big, that's a big component of it too. You can run around a gym and do whatever you want. And the last missing piece, I would say, is that we have some great instructors who, some of which are kids themselves and inspire uh, a lot of silliness and running around and playing for no reason other than it's fun. Seem to have hit on a a very uh, good combination, especially for kids like Kai, who have all the potential in the world, but maybe had a bad experience or they have a brother who's really, really good immediately and and, and uh, you feel like, oh, I'm not like him. And so you tend to step back. That's a totally natural reaction. And so I feel like we've created an environment that, if nothing else, inspires you to be active and healthy and that this is actually fun and something you might want to uh, do in your spare time, let alone at a program where you have to go somewhere to a gym at a specific time. So that's, that's kind of dark horse in a nutshell. Well, and my experience personally, so I've got those two kids. They're 18 months apart. The older one is just a naturally gifted athlete who can pick up any type of a ball and knows what to do with it. And because they're 18 months apart, my boys are quite competitive with each other. And I vividly recall my younger son at one point saying, but I'm not as good as JJ. And I said, but how can you be? He's got a couple of years on you and you just like different things. And what was fascinating about our time together with you at Dark Horse was that both of them were in the same gym at the same time doing the exact same drills and they both got something out of it. And I've never seen that happen before. Usually one child will be overly challenged or the other child will be understimulated. And that didn't occur with Dark Horse, which I found absolutely fascinating how it could appeal to kids across a massive range of abilities and talents. Now, tell me a little bit more about the coaches. We were talking about this because I seem to recall that when I had my boys at Dark Horse, there were a number of budding Olympic athletes, was it? We have, over the years, we've had, you know, the, here's the reality of getting really good people. The rest of the world knows the really good people, so they end up getting hired in other places. Like, we've had a few teachers that, uh, you know, were, were retired, you know, we're in school when the school was done, then I don't know if I'm going to get a job. Well, yes, I'll write a, a, a recommendation for you. And they were hired the next week. So we've lost, you know, we had such great people, but great people move on. At the, at the moment, we have a provincial level speed skater, a national B team skeleton athlete, a national team level before COVID hit. So we'll see what happens this summer, heptathlete, uh, et cetera. So at the moment, just because things are shut down at the moment. I mean, we're planning on starting up again in, in uh, September. But, be, you know, we, we've sort of have, there's a bit of a transition, but at the moment we only have five or six 
coaches and no one's really working at the moment because because of covid but we've had some great athletes we've had some you know one of the one of kids favorite coaches is typically ethan and ethan played for played basketball for his college briefly you know a decade ago and and i think he's when he's not there for a few nights in a row, kids say, where's Ethan? And they're quite put out that Ethan's not there. And it's not because he's some famous athlete. It's because he's a big kid and a lot of fun. And, you know, the high fives at the end of the session, typically Ethan will go around giving high fives and the kids will say, put your hand higher. You know, he's 6'1 or 2 or something. And it's put your hand higher, put your hand higher. And it becomes a contest of who can jump the highest to give Ethan high five. And I really get the feeling that Ethan would do that for two hours if you let him. Like, that's just the kind of person, that's fun for him, is just being silly and fooling around. And then he wants to try and high-five something, like a backboard, to see how high he can he can get. That's doing what you love to do and being authentic, being your authentic self. And the kids maybe more than adults, the kids see see that and appreciate that and are drawn to that. So yeah, we've had some, we've had a number of great coaches and some of them are budding athletes and some of them are not, but they're all uh, people who love to be active and, sh- you know, have an enthusiasm for sport and physical activity. I think that's a really powerful point because what you've done is you've just explained the fitness industry because- hmm. In the fitness industry, when you're looking at personal trainers or um, group fitness instructors, or even, let's say, even facilities themselves, you've got the individual who could literally be your neighbor who is training you or your mom and pop shop, all the way up to the celebrity endorsements or celebrity trainers or the big shops, the Equinox, the Peloton instructors. And I am always a big believer in there is always someone for everyone. So there is a fitness class and a fitness instructor for every single person. Nobody wants to all go to the same person. And this is why it's so important to have that type of diversity because we all want different things. And I think that's what I hear you saying with Dark Horse is not only are you creating the diversity in the physical literacy and having kids experience a plethora of different types of athletic abilities, but you've got that in your coaches as well. And I think that's amazing because we're all going to respond differently to different things. This episode of the Fit Pro Foundations podcast is brought to you by Time to Train Fitness, your home for live and on-demand virtual fitness classes for every level of fitness. Work out with amazing certified instructors that want you to push through any barriers. At Time to Train Fitness, you'll find quality workouts across six class formats, including indoor cycling, HIT, bar, yoga, strength training, and dance cardio. Stream brand new classes live every week or choose from over 400 classes available anytime on demand. Use the code in the description to view all the membership options and to start a free five-day trial. Get ready to press play on your next workout. And what are the ages that Dark Horse Athletic runs for? Well, we we say 7 to 12, but we've had kids as young as 5 
if they're ready, if they can sit and listen for a few seconds before we run out and get started in whatever it is we're doing, then, you know, we've had kids as young as five. We've had kids as old as 14, but the bulk the bulk of the bulk of it is between seven and twelve, and the the thirteen and fourteen year olds we've had have been kids who've been in the program who come with their friends because the majority you know you you'll have twenty five or thirty kids running around the gym and the majority of them will be let's say the mean age is ten so if you're fourteen and everyone's younger than you 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 might feel out of place unless you're coming with your pals so that's in terms of that's probably the most long winded answer you've got for for uh what's the answer to this question well here's here, I'll talk for five minutes about the age range. Uh, it's seven to 12-ish, but uh, it's, it's, it, it sort of ties back to what you were saying before in the sense that your two kids are of different ability levels, and yet they got something out of doing exactly the same thing. And I look at, you know, part of, the, part of what we try and provide in the program is we'll do low walks, which is what a speed skater would do for part of their training. And we'll do the ABCs, which is what a track athlete would do to, to build the technical aspect of correct running technique. And for an A, uh, an A skip or an AB, your ABCs drills, that's we've taught kids as young as six and seven how to do those very well. It's also what Usain Bolt would do uh, to prepare for a race. So there are aspects, you know, we we labored a lot at the beginning of designing the program. How are you going to change, you know, the, the ability levels and what we, you know, how are you going to cater to the different ages if you have a younger group and an older group? And ultimately what we figured out was you want the kids, if if there is a little sibling who wants to go with the older sibling, that's fine. Go in the group with your friends where you're most com comfortable, where you'll, where you'll have the most fun, because that's more relevant than the skill that you're doing. Because every skill, you can ramp it up or dumb it down based on the individual. And there are skills like doing an A-skip that the most elite athlete in the world will do, and you can teach a six-year-old to do. So there's huge, what we found, you know, I assumed that there would be a great, you'd have to cater very much. But what we found was a lot of the things are very adaptable to the individual you can do right on the fly. And it's more important that they enjoy themselves and be with their friends and have fun. So we thought of that first. I love it. I absolutely agree with everything that you're saying here. Have you ever thought about franchising this? Is that something that you see as a possibility in the future? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, we've gone through all the legal stuff and the contract developing, and I'm just waiting. We, we were sort of at a point where we started at the program that you went to at Weber Academy is the main, was the first program. It's the main program. And we have expanded to three other locations when COVID hit and basically shut down the whole thing. And so in terms of a business plan, we're going to try and get back to where we were. We'll have to start slowly because a lot of our clientele was siblings of people who are already in the program or teammates of people who are already in the program. So because it's been a year and three quarters, We'll be starting from scratch a little bit, and that's going to take a little bit of time. But I always thought this is 
definitely something that you could franchise. And so we have taken steps and that's definitely something that I'm planning on doing in the future because we've been very intentional and very specific about what the program is and the format of it and the structure of it and why it is like that. So I think it's something that you could franchise and that you could market. And I've come to the conclusion that it, it would be in our, you know, I'm, I'm at the point in my life and, and I know from listening to you that you would be right in line with this philosophy. It's more important to have an impact. At this point, that's my greatest dream. So instead of, you know, there's, what's the other sport ball? Did your kids ever do sport ball when they were young? They did. I forgot about <laughs> sport ball. But now, now that you say that, I, we've got half oh, from right? sport ball. So yeah, they, they did. <laughs> well, sport ball is, is kind of a model that I have looked at for Dark Horse moving forward. And our kids, or our youngest did sport ball. I don't think our oldest did. But it's... Sport ball, I think, is fantastic for kids slightly younger. That's how I think of it anyway. I think they have programs that run into dark horse ages, but their sport ball is primary, primarily for, you know, kindergarten and pre-kindergarten-ish ages, which is younger than dark horse. And so I've looked at that as a model and I've thought to myself, you know, if you go online and what their franchises, they have a franchise system. And if you look at what their costs are and so on. I think I'm of the mindset that I would rather it be very defined and very specific and you have to be protective of the brand and very clear as to what the brand is and what the goals are and and so on. You know, it's it has to be love of the game, growth mindset, physical literacy. But I want to make it much more accessible. So it won't be a multi-million dollar thing on our end. It'll be a growth thing. And I, and I see it as being, you know, for, for Dark Horse, when I, I described how I watched my youngest playing hockey and, and thought this, people are missing the point of why kids get into sport, I'm going to create Dark Horse. Well, part two of that was going into schools and being invited into schools and realizing that in Alberta, we don't have phys ed teachers in elementary school. Now, we have some great people who go above and beyond and provide a wonderful program, but you also have the reality that the same person who's in charge of math and spelling and, you know, every every subject is also in charge of phys ed. And all too often that means you throw a ball in the middle of a bunch of kids and say, go play soccer. I'm going <laughs> to take a mental break for a second. When physical literacy and and your health for the rest of your adult life is greatly impact on what happens before age 12. And the research that I came across said that if you don't pick up a volleyball, as a random example, by age 12, the chances of you doing that after the fact, after age 12, are almost zero. So physical education for kids 12 and under is critically important, has ramifications for the rest of their lives. So my goal is to get what I feel like I've stumbled on something that isn't rocket science, but is, is structured in a way where, you know, exactly like we were talking about, the kid who thought they didn't like sport or didn't like competition. I feel like we've had 
parent after parent come in and said, I, we're trying whatever we can. They're just not that active. They're just not interested. I feel like we're batting a thousand with those kids because we take the head-to-head -head competition out of it and remind kids that it's really about you challenging yourself and getting a little better. That's really fun. That's really rewarding. And so I feel like we've we've got a package that would benefit a lot of people if we could get it out there. So that is another long-winded answer, Karen, to a very simple question. But uh, yes, <laughs> another way I could have answered that question was yes. I love it, though, because you couldn't <laughs> see me. As soon as you were talking about physical education in schools and the teachers just throwing a soccer ball down in the middle of the field to take a mental break. I was like, yes, this, this is what happens. And it's, I'm not blaming anyone, but that's exactly the experience that the kids have. And you immediately see the kids that want to play or that feel confident or that are competitive, yes. jump right in. And you have about half the class just standing yep on the peripheral, afraid to step in. And right. yes, you, you've just described elementary phys ed. And I think that I absolutely agree that the program, Dark Horse Athletic, I think that it should be franchised. And I, I see your reason for doing, it's coming from a very altruistic place where you just want the betterment of kids' health and confidence. And maybe even to grow a little bit of that competitive drive. But there's different ways of growing that competitive drive. And I think that we both have seen situations where parents might be doing it wrong. Now, you've talked about the growth mindset a couple of times, and I'd love for you to dig in a little bit deeper with why you feel that a growth mindset is so important. Well, it's tying it back to Dark Horse again, my experience is if I have a group of seven to 12 year olds and I say, who here knows what a growth mindset is or a fixed mindset, every kid puts up their hand. So in other words, and I've said the same thing, I've, I've gone to various teacher conferences. And if you ask teachers what a growth mindset is, what a fixed mindset is, they can give you a definition. They can speak of it in very superficial terms, but certainly with the kids, but surprisingly with the teachers, if I say, okay, who's read Carol Dweck's book, which would represent a, a commitment of, you know, six or seven hours, almost no one had read what it really means and how, and where the rubber meets the road, what, what, you know, how you cultivate one or the, over the other and why that would make a difference. And so what, what people know on a basic level is that a growth mindset, here's the, Here's the most basic version of it and the least valuable version of it. What's a growth mindset? Well, you work at something, you get better at it. Well, the minute you learn to read, you've experienced that firsthand. What does that mean beyond that? Well, okay, let's, let's dive a little deeper and find out what it, what's a fixed mindset. Well, a fixed mindset relating to sport, and it, it would apply equally to math or leadership or, or whatever skill you want to talk about. But in, in a sport context, a fixed someone with a fixed mindset believes that athletic ability is something you have or you don't have. You're a good athlete, you're good at everything, or you're not, you're sort of clumsy and you're not. Okay, and the and here's where the rubber meets the road. Where this all becomes relevant relates to failure. So if you believe that you have talent 
and you're successful as an athlete because you were born that way, then failure becomes something very personal to you. And every athletic contest or practice becomes a proving ground because failure is showing that you don't have what it takes. So if you have a growth mindset, you see failure as, oh, you don't like failure. No one likes failure, but it's not personally insulting to you and your ability. It's just part of the process. Okay, so re we, and I, I think this is, this is something I talk a, a lot about in my upcoming book, actually, is how you look at failure. And, and a lot of this stuff is cultivated when you're very young. So dark horse age, how you look at failure, because the greatest athletes, and it's, it's funny, I've got nine thoughts going through my mind at the, at the same time here. For kids, if they participate and lead a healthier lifestyle, that's great. That's great. If that's as, you know, for my own kids, if that's all that ever happens, then that's the point of youth sport. But we push them too hard because we want them to be successful. And so my point that I bring to this equation again and again, it seems, is that if you want them to be successful, then make them love it as kids. Because it, it, you know, to, to lead a healthy lifestyle and or have the potential to be good at something later on, both come from the same foundation or, or both are irrelevant. Talent is irrelevant if they don't love it when they're young. So it's, they both are, are on the same foundation. And so, sorry, I, I sidetracked myself there and I forgot where we were going. <laughs> Growth mindset. It's those, it's those nine thoughts Growth all mindset. running Thank simultaneously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. So the growth mindset, what was, the, what was my point about the growth mindset? Is, is that the successful athlete is the one who fails and, and is chomping at the bit to practice and get better and take another shot at it. They don't enjoy the failure. No one, you know, everyone would prefer to win all the time, but the growth opportunity is the failure and how you react to it. The whole conclusion of Carol Dweck's research was that those with a growth mindset are more successful because those with a fixed mindset didn't seek out the challenge of tougher competition. They tended to avoid situations in which they might lose because failure is seen as too personal. And so ultimately how we coach or groom our kids relating to failure will, is much more relevant than whether they win or lose a kid's hockey game when they're young. I love this. So that's, that's the summary of Carol Dweck's research. It's how you look at failure. Because fixed mindset, you tend to avoid situations where you might lose. So you don't challenge yourself, you don't grow, and ultimately that's less successful. And then that begs from there, that begs the question on how do you cultivate a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset? That is the underpinning of dark horse athletic, teaching kids that dropping a ball isn't failure. It's just a step along the mastery. Yes. In fact, I can think of an example. I had a, a very vivid aha moment watching my oldest son play baseball. I don't know if your kids ever played little league baseball, but it's for 12 and under, you have no leadoffs, like the, the, the pitcher's mound is a certain distance away, the bases are a certain distance apart. For whatever reason, there's no leadoffs. So I'm, th I'm thinking of sp one specific day where the best player for my son's team was playing catcher. And the same thing happened with our team, the catcher on our team, and the catcher on the other team 
in the same game, which is why it probably struck me what was going on here. But in Little League, there are no leadoffs until the pitch crosses the plate. And the coaches teach the kids that every single time when the pitch crosses the plate, you take three or four steps because if it's a hit, you just keep running to the next base. If the ball is in the dirt and it gets past the catcher, you're in a good position to steal a base. So out of habit, they're taught every time the, the ball crosses the plate, you take a lead off of two or three steps. And typically what happens is that just happens again and again. And someone takes a lead off and then they walk back to first. And they take a lead off and they walk back to first. And if someone's a little too casual about it and you have a good player playing catcher, sometimes they can throw down to first place, uh, first, <laughs> first place, uh, down to first base and tag the runner before they get back and pick off the runner at first. And on this occasion, the catcher tried to do that. And I don't remember if it was a bad throw or the first baseman was maybe wasn't paying attention, but the ball went into right field. And it's Little League, right? It's, it's kids. So the right fielder's not paying attention either. Base runner who's on first, before the ball gets back to the infield, that base runner's on third now. And that play happened exactly the same way with the other team in the same game. And the reaction to it was exactly the same from the coach, from two coaches and two parents in, in two examples. So each time the coach and the parents said exactly the same thing. And if you've watched Little League, if you've had a kid in Little League, you, you, this might sound familiar to you. They say, just focus on the batter. In other words, don't try that. Don't do that. Well, what possible justification would you have for discouraging a team from trying a skill that's inherent in the sport of baseball. And in this case in particular, it was a kid's regular season house league game where, to my recollection, everyone makes the playoffs anyway. Why would you tell a kid not to do that? The only answer to that is we're trying to win. It's harder to win if, if you make a mistake and, and someone advances on the base pad. And then I thought to myself, how many times would Russell Martin or Yadi Molina, or some other major league all-star back catcher, how many times do you think they would have thrown a ball into the outfield trying to do that growing up? Or, or at the major league level. But we don't want our kids doing that because we're trying to win this kid's regular season house league baseball game. It really struck me at that time that that's a very subtle way in which winning actually impedes development. Why are we so afraid of losing? Every time we chastise a kid for making a, a mistake or every time we do something as simple and positive and supportive as being really, really happy when our kids win a kid's sporting contest and are not as happy when they don't win, we're giving a message. And the message is winning is important. And the problem with that is just that it impedes development, as with the example I just gave you. And it teaches kids that it's winning is really important. And that contradicts why a kid does it in the first place, which is fun. And when kids quit and they, ki they quit in huge numbers, they, the number that is typically thrown around is North America wide, 70% of kids quit by age 13. Mostly why they quit is because it becomes too much about wins and losses. And I... It's something I do for fun and it's no longer fun anymore because it's too, because I got a coach and a parent yelling at me when I'm trying to pick off a runner at first and the first baseman wasn't paying attention. So I got in trouble when I'm playing something that's used to be for fun. That's kind of how it happens. 
And I think in, in Dark Horse, again, I'm all for competition. I'm all for youth sport. But Dark Horse is a break from that. And those messages and what we're ultimately teaching a kid and that this can be fun whether you win or don't win. And that's, that's a huge part of it is the growth mindset is not having a fixed mindset. It's this is fun whether you win or lose. How do you foster that as a parent? It's like, I love to watch you play. That was so awesome how you did today. You almost, that's a really good team you were playing. And that's the best I've seen you guys play. I bet you if you played them again, I, you might even have a chance of winning. As opposed to you screwed up throwing into, into right field there. As if that would motivate a kid. Well, that undercuts a kid's motivation. So I feel like we've really hit on something with regard to Dark Horse. Because ultimately those institutions exist for development, not to train kids to go to college and play Major League Baseball, which is, some of us forget that sometimes, I think. It's also very important to remember that winning is a singular point in time. Winning is over just as quickly as it came about. Yeah. So if you're not fostering the growth through development and through loss and through figuring out what works better in different situations then you're creating this society of kids that will only feel successful when everything goes right. And that's a scary thought. That's a really scary thought. Yeah. And it's why I want my kids, you know, the, the one positive, the silver lining where all the sports have been canceled over last winter. The silver lining is my kids skied more than they ever have. And my one kid is really into skateboarding now. And it's a social thing. And it's a it's tons of physical literacy development. And those are things, maybe not the skateboarding, maybe you don't have a 70-year-old skateboarding, but you, you certainly do have a 70-year-old skiing. That's potentially something they'll do for the rest of their lives. And the fact that they're doing it because they enjoy doing it. And there's, there's no, you know, you can compete in skiing, obviously. There's most of the joy that you get from skiing is not who's the fastest down the hill. And it kind of, it kind of reminds me, it, it makes me worried for my kids or, or you could say society in general, like you were just alluding to, that when I was a kid, we play street hockey for hours and never kept score until someone with a net had to leave. And then we gave the first thought to the score and we said the next goal wins. That's the only time we, we cared about it. In other words, we did it for hours and it wasn't about who was the best. It was about the challenge. It was about the competition. It was about running around and pretending that we were our hockey heroes. And you know, every goal was game seven overtime in the Stanley Cup finals because that was part of the fun. And you see that so much less these days. It's a uniform and a coach telling you what you're doing right and wrong. And that misses something, that loses something. And there will be long-term implications, I, I believe, for that. It is frightening the number of kids that drop out of sports around that age of 12, 13, 14. It's a very distinct line that's drawn in the sand. Do you continue on? And the only kids that continue on are the ones that are absolutely driven or that are still in love with the game. This makes me so happy to hear you say this because I think that some people believe that Olympic athletes or professional athletes or even athletes at the top of their game, 
no matter, you know, what tier or sport or however it's recognized. I think that people always see them as being very driven. But what I hear you saying is, yes, you were driven. Obviously, you would have had to have been driven. But that wasn't your primary driver. You enjoy learning how to get better, not for the purpose of necessarily winning, but for the purpose of the experience. And this makes me really happy to hear. (laughs) Because I think that a lot of people on their own fitness and wellness journey can relate to that. It gives me hope that there are others like you that can positively impact and shape the experience of health, wellness, and love of sport not only for children, but also for those adults that never had the opportunity to do it when they were young themselves. Because there are a lot of adults that don't know how to ride a bike. There are a lot of adults that don't know how to ski. There are a lot of adults that have never even run a 5k race because it wasn't part of what they knew growing up. And you are changing the world. You literally are changing the world. <laughs> well, that's very, thank you, Karen. That's, that's very nice of you. But it, it, you know, what I'm thinking of when you're talking is that ties back to how we all are more motivated. We all, there, there's a trainer out there for everyone. If you've never run a 5K in your life, and that's something that would take you weeks and weeks to build up to, that's a, that's a pretty exciting goal. But do you want an Olympic runner teaching you how to do that? I, that's the last thing that I would want. I would want someone who's a little closer to me. And, I'm a, and I, do the, I do mean that literally. Some people might look at me as an Olympian, but as a, you know, as a runner, I would, you know, I'm an example of someone like every single human who is really well suited to some things and not suited to other things. And I very much enjoy riding my bike or paddleboarding or running or doing something for a longer period of time. But I am no, no one would ever confuse me as being an expert in any of those things. So you and Usain, not, not buddies? Usain Bolt? <laughs> Yeah, you, you guys aren't hanging out. <laughs> I would love. I I love that guy. I I he's to me he's the. So I just just in case he hears this <laughs> when um, he listens to my podcast, please please feel free to reach out because he typifies something for me, mm. which is um, is the difference between confidence and arrogance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he does the, you know, the Superman pose or the dab kind of a thing when he finishes the race, but he also hugs someone else. It's always, look at how amazing I am, but it's never to the expense of someone else. You know, like that, to me, that's a very important distinction. It's never, he's never been about you suck. He's always been about Thank you, my adoring fans. Here's my pose, which is kind of, frankly, is kind of a persona that I have taken into Dark Horse a little bit because it's very inspiring to other people to be surrounded by someone like myself who will walk, you know, do a dab and be all Mr. Cocky. And then you beat me in something that you're better at me at. And I pretend I'm really upset and I can't believe you've beaten me. Well, that's, that teaches you something. You got to give it a shot to see what you're, what you're capable of. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? Am I describing myself as a a jackass here? I don't mean to... (laughs) I don't mean to do that. It's a persona. <laughs> no, because I, I have seen you in the gym with kids doing exactly that. Yeah, we all, that, that's kind of, that's what I, 
I would say I enjoy the most about Dark Horse. And everyone has their own style or their own gimmick, and it has to be you. You can't take my style, and I could never be an Ahmed, and Ahmed could never be an Ethan or a Jessica or a Tamara. But mine was, I'm going to, I have a challenge, but you probably won't be able to do it. Okay, tell me, what is it? What is it? Well, I just... You probably won't do it. You probably can't do it as well as me. You know, I went to the Olympics uh, (laughs) and then they do it. And then I'm humiliated by it. And they love it. They love it. It's just being silly. And if they laugh and I have to be the clown and they enjoy it and want to come back, um, then that's then it worked. Mm-hmm. You're giving me flashbacks of train the trainer day at the gym. Members would bring in contributions or donations to the food bank. And if they brought in a certain amount, they got to then train their trainer. <laughs> which involved correcting the trainer. and No, uh, which involved a lot of burpees. Always, always burpees. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like always burpees. Oh, I see. oh, yeah. No, no. Like physically training us, like get down and give me 300 push ups. <laughs> <laughs> it was not our favorite day of the year. Let's put it that way. Mm. But um, clients loved it. <laughs> Members loved it. <laughs> you know, I see so many parallels and connections between what you're doing with kids and what I do with adults and just how we all have a place in being able to shape, support, and lead individuals into loving movement. And I'm really excited to hear that you have an idea Mm -hmm. or there's plans in motion to franchise Dark Horse because as I mentioned before, it is certainly one of the most underserved populations for many of the reasons that you mentioned, but also because of COVID. I'm trying to be conscious of our time here. Um, although I, f- I mean, I could talk to you about all of this stuff forever because I, you're like the walking encyclopedia of every sport and player. And <laughs> well, you've heard my introduction in Dark Horse, right? I don't remember oh, that. It's where I say, okay, I'm. I did skeleton, and that was my main sport as a grown up. But I've tried. I'll give three people a chance to guess a sport I've never done before. That's how I introduce myself to new kids, and and. There are a few examples out there. I've never figure skated. I've never done. Someone said modern pentathlon. And I thought, yep, that's correct. I've never done modern pentathlon. Synchronized swimming. Nope. Took a uh, unit in phys ed for synchronized swimming. So I'm going to count that. Cricket. Yep. Tried that uh, twice in my life. That kind of thing. The kids must love that. (laughs) Well, the kids who've been there before all have their hands up because they know the ones that, (laughs) that I've never done before. But. So before we wrap this up, is there a final piece of advice that you can provide to other fitness professionals that are looking to make a difference? What's that secret sauce? Well, this, the secret sauce is not really a secret. And in fact, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's, I feel like my life, my athletic career certainly validates that it has to be something that you love to do. And because enthusiasm is infectious it's you can read through it if if someone's faking it. It's when I was when I won a gold medal at age 39. Like I said before, people say what an incredible story of perseverance. Had nothing to do with perseverance. I was I was enjoying what I did every single day. A love of what you do, being great at something. If it's a sport, there's a genetic component. But if it's leadership, if it's if you're trying to inspire a love of physical activity, then genetics has nothing to do with it. In, in fact, as you 
mentioned. There's a certain client out there who would appreciate a trainer who wasn't shredded and muscular and all this sort of thing. And, and that would be the best trainer for that person. And so it doesn't, the genetics don't matter in this, in almost, you know, starting your own business, writing a book, right? Getting a degree, getting your law degree, whatever it is, genetics don't matter almost the rest of the time. And what does is your interest and love for what you do. That's the not so secret sauce, I'd say. Very valid points, all of them. And I think that you're a perfect example of exactly that. Continuing to do what you love because of how it makes you feel. If people want to know more about Dark Horse Athletic, it's the web address is darkhorseathletic.ca. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Excellent. I'll put that in the show notes. And if people are interested in doing a pre-order on your book. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I for, had forgotten about that. Uh, our launch date we haven't nailed down a date, but it'll be the 15th or 16th of July. It'll be the middle of next month. It will be available through Amazon, Kindle, Kobo, all of the usual things. You can do print on demand through Amazon. Anything that you can do online, any of the traditional. In fact, I've recorded the audio version of it. I'm not sure if that'll be ready by mid next month, but certainly an, an ebook or a print on demand, your usual suspects, Amazon, Kindle, Kobo, those uh, Apple books, those ones, it'll all be available. The Tao of Sport. Excellent. Love it. I can't wait. So I certify group fitness instructors and personal trainers through CanFit Pro. They come to my workshops. We spend a very intensive, immersive three days together. And one of the things that I do is I always have a prize for a certain section of one of the classes. And I think that I would like to have your book to give away in my next few ones. So I'm certainly going to put in a pre-order. And when you're ready to franchise Dark Horse Athletic, where should people reach out? Because I think that you will have people that are interested in doing this. Well, that, I'm sure that we would do that through darkhorseathletic.ca. I think, you know, I'll, I'll probably reach out to a few individuals. I, I would love it if someone would contact me and, and was interested because we could bring them in to see the Weber Academy program and see what it's all about firsthand and that sort of thing. And that's really easy to do if you live in Alberta. So yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping ahead. I'm in full on book mode at this, at this moment. The game plan was to get the physical actual program up and running again before I started thinking about franchises. But if someone wants to jump into that right away, then I'd, I'd be more than happy to entertain the discussion and all the contact information and this sort of thing is on darkhorseathletic.ca. And I absolutely would endorse anyone wanting to do that because I have seen the program, my kids have experienced it, and I think I even wrote you a review. I was so impressed. And this was <laughs> this was a few years ago before, before I had this podcast and invited you to be on. And the reason I invited you to be on is because I respect you so very much. I think that you are a phenomenal speaker. You are an amazing leader, and I think you're doing all the right things. So with that, Duff, I just want to say thank you so much 
much for being on the show today. I wish you all the best of luck and we're about to open back up for in live person classes. So I assume you're going to be very busy with that once the province allows us to move forward and just keep doing what you're doing because you're the type of person that makes a significant difference in the world. Well, Karen, that's very, <laughs> that's so kind of you. And uh, as you were saying, we could have talked for a, a couple hours without uh, noticing the time, like like-minded individuals often do. And I know from watching your podcast and, and speaking to you and hearing, you know, just seeing what you share through your social media, I know you're very passionate and, and are following your love as well. So I know you and I are on similar paths in that regard. So thank you very much for the invitation. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. 